0: podcasting from astrolab studios this is continuum drag a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi fantasy and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended this week space above and beyond episode one
1: it is my sincere regret to inform you that one of you I'll not be on board. One of us? Nine colonists have been released.
0: Postpone the mission.
1: We don't go in six hours. The forecasted wormhole passage to tell us won't be open for another 12 days. They're years. not even trained. I mean, Send them on the next colony. The next colonial mission won't be ready for five years. There are members of Congress who need to look good now.
0: We'll both resign.
1: You have a commitment to execute vital assignments on this mission. Duties which one of you could cover but for which no one else is trained not to mention the severe legal consequences of breaking your contract besides i know you both it's
0: your dream to go to space the dream was to go together welcome to continuum drag the podcast that explores forgotten or overlooked sci-fi television i am luke here with my co-host jordan what's real jordan oh not too much you know another tuesday just another Tuesday. Just another
1: Tuesday where we talk about science fiction. Can't get better than that. Well, there you go. That's that's a positive
0: energy to be coming in with. I'm drinking a ginger ale here. How could, how could I be unhappy? Just live in the, live in the high life. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, well, this week we're going to be starting a new to us TV series. Uh, we're going to get into Space Above and Beyond. We're going to have to come up with some sort of acronym or something, right? Are we just going to call it
1: SAB? Or something, because it's it's a lot to say Space Above and Beyond, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think we'll have to say the title of it more than once an episode, I hope. We, well, anyways,
1: we'll figure something Between
0: out. Between you and I? Sab? Yeah, exactly. Sab. Or Beyond. We're calling it Beyond, or something like that. Oh, Beyond. hmm <laughs> You're all about efficiencies. That's it. I'm very excited uh, that it's taken us a long time for some reason but we're finally going to watch a science fiction show that takes place in space it's funny i uh i remembered you you had mentioned
1: that uh, about halfway through the episode when they when they actually get into space and i thought this is actually the first time in what, what have we done Eight, 17 18 episodes the first time anyone's going to space
0: yeah I, I mean technically someone in river world briefly went to space but it barely counts
1: but it exploded almost immediately right so
0: yeah they died immediately
1: we never did find out if Riverworld was a different world or if it was, you know, heaven or nirvana or what it was.
0: Some sort of mythology.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll find out in uh, Riverworld 2010. Who can wait? <laughs> anyway, so we're space above and beyond.
0: Yeah. Um, this is going to be an interesting one in that we haven't actually done a longer series since Tech War, which means like there's 24 episodes in this Series. Um, So we'll be bringing the escape pod back online. Uh, And if you haven't listened to us since episode one, probably for the best. But the idea is we'll do about four episodes of the podcast. And then we'll start checking where our ratings are every every week. And um, if the show falls below a 5.0, uh, we're just going to uh, push eject because it's, it's too painful to go on. And in all fairness, that means we would have already watched several hours of the show. Yeah, four hours of your life is uh, many, many more hours of ours. Exactly. We
1: have to take notes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true. It's, uh, it's so much work. But we do it because we love you. We do it for
1: the love of science fiction and... For the love of our fans who
0: uh,
1: never email us.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, imagine the day when it happens. We'll be so happy.
1: Anyway, so uh, wh- how are we starting with uh, uh, Sab? With Sab?
0: Well, I guess um, first, I want to know like what you knew about Space Above and Beyond before we started watching it.
1: That this was airing pretty much
0: the same time as Tech War, which is weird. That's very funny. I made that same note, too, is these things ran simultaneously and uh the difference in quality is astounding tech wars special effects were bad even for 1995 and the special effects
1: of this like i mean there's a certain amount of allowance that the show is 20 years old so some of them kind of are inherently kind of cheesy but compared to something else like tech war at the time they look like
0: stunning it's night and day these two shows it's crazy as for myself i actually did watch this when it aired i really don't remember anything about it it, it was save for one plot involving a black hole but I won't say anymore so I don't spoil it for you but I really don't remember too much I just remember that as a kid I think I I liked it a lot I'm pretty sure
1: not enough to remember it though
0: but not enough to really remember much about it that's for sure you mentioned it was on at the same time as tech War. it actually ran one season September 24th 95 to June 2nd 1996 which means uh, we would have been 13 years old I believe both in grade 8 that means really blossoming into puberty yeah I'm, I'm actually really surprised i didn't
1: watch this because this would have been right in my wheelhouse at that time
0: well i was thinking about it because i was like i watched it and i was kind of curious as to what was going on around it and it makes sense why i watched it i think because uh tng would have ended 94 just right? the season before this yeah yeah so it would have ended in the summer no it would have ended the summer of 95 i think maybe i'm wrong i think it's 94 at any rate it would have kind of gone off the air recently I wasn't watching DS9 at this point because uh, I just didn't like the first few seasons. So like I really had a sci-fi void in my TV viewing schedule, which was a big TV viewing was a big part of my life. So uh, I think this slid in quite nicely, which is probably why I spent so much time watching it.
1: So uh, what, what do we how do we start? It's been so long since we started a new series. I can't even remember what we do.
0: We're going to get uh, into a little a little more stuff uh, about kind of what was happening around this time, actually, when the show was out like i usually do obviously it aired um around the same time as tech war so um a lot of the same events kind of happened like this was kind of the same era when uh when oj was found guilty and when the unabomber was going on this kind of like stuff was happening but i try to drag drag up a couple more luke
1: oj was found innocent
0: oh you're right i'm sorry oj don't be one of those truthers he was innocent my conspiracy <laughs> theories are going crazy exactly um, you're right. But I tried to dig up a few more things that happened around that timeline that might be, you know, at least mildly of interest to us and maybe the listeners in the frame of time when this show was going on. One thing I found was that the uh, Galileo probe had actually gone into Jupiter's atmosphere in this time. Very mm-hmm. uh, spacey news around that time. And also, kind of in that same time frame, do you know the X Prize? Mm, I don't think so. What is that? The X Prize is basically. A prize that's given out to private companies, and the idea was to challenge them to get into space, like to build spaceworthy travel vehicles, in order to like kind of you know commercialize space.
1: Is that what like when Charles uh, uh not Ch- Charles Branson is that it? No, Richard Branson. Excuse me, I'm mixing Charles Branson with Richard Branson. Richard Branson had that plane that had a rocket on it that would shoot off to
0: space. Yeah, that is one of the, that is like one of the entries of people who are trying to like win the win the X Prize. The X Prize actually started in 1996 so mm-hmm. while the show was on they got 10 million dollars together and they instituted the prize and no one actually won it till 2004 who won it the first time did you, did you find that i i don't have it here it wasn't it wasn't uh, branson though hmm he was screwed again i didn't i didn't know who it was so i just left it out but yeah no it, it actually started in 96 and it took eight years for someone actually to be able to like achieve the goal of uh what, what were they trying to do it's like a sub a suborbital flight was the uh was the challenge interesting yeah and then i've got one more uh little little note about the time period uh, that's a special treat for you okay because i know you're a fan uh this was the year that uh whoopi goldberg hosted the oscars <laughs>
1: <laughs> hold on no wait she didn't she oh host the oscars in 96 yeah yeah 96 right that's I when I lo- this happened. I love I love that I corrected you, but I still actually did know what year she hosted. Because I know Letterman did 95. Who won the best picture that year? Oh, 96. Uh, I think Braveheart 195. What would a one I'm going to guess English Patient?
0: Braveheart. You were right.
1: I was right. I thought Braveheart, well, I, I'm mixing up my years. I always mix up what year they get the award and what year they come out. So yeah, there you go. Braveheart. Well done for me. There you go. Did English Patient win the next year? Did you, did you look I that
0: I didn't look to next year. That show wasn't on. then.
1: that's true. Anyways, find out when English patient won for me. <laughs>
0: I'll look into it. I'll get back to you next week. Thanks. Um. Usually, I, I I I've looked at like people who died in these periods before, but this time I like tried to do something new for like who was born during. That's uh, great.
1: That this is actually going to be creepy to hear how how young certain people are. So who was born in 95, 96?
0: I got I got three uh, great borans during Space Above and Beyond, Kendall Jenner.
1: Ugh. Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: A very important cultural force in 2018. Yeah. Um, I know more, more garbage people. We need to hear more about. Anyways, next. Sophie Turner. Who's that? She's a Game of Thrones. She's um Ariana's sister. Oh, <laughs> Ariana's sister. The, one of the one of the Stark children. Arya. I don't. I don't even know their names. It doesn't really matter. And finally. The day before the final episode of Space and Beyond, Tom Holland, our Spider-Man was born. Man, how many Spider-Mans have there been at this
1: point? A lot of Spider-Men. Only one that matters, Tom Holland. I I think my favorite Spider-Man is the guy who voiced the 1960s cartoon because he sounds because spider mans supposed to be a teenager, but he sounds like he's 45 years old. And I always enjoyed that. I mean,
0: that was the Spider-Man you preferred. That's the one I prefer. Yeah. The old 45
1: I want a, a Spider-Man that's just like, yeah, all right, all right. What do you need, a web? Yeah, I got it for you. Hold on, hold on. I know this drill.
0: <laughs> okay, I mean, that about ends it for the, my usual nonsense off the top. Um, all right, uh, shall I give us the IMDb synopsis for The Pilot? Yes, because there, there's a lot to unpack here, so I'm, I'm interested
1: to see what the uh, synopsis is.
0: When an Earth outpost, 16 light-years away, is destroyed by an unknown alien force... A group of young United States Marine Corps space aviators find themselves on the front lines of an intergalactic battle in an attempt to save their home planet. Actually, that's probably a better job summarizing than I would have done. It's a pretty succinct one. And as you mentioned, this is a lot to unpack because this is like a two-hour like TV movie-style pilot. So it, it was a long one. Yeah, it, it actually feels...
1: With the exception of it sort of ending on the usual, like, more adventures to come, it actually does feel like... For a lot of it, a standalone movie, more than a pilot, except for at the very end.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think maybe there was a a gamble taken that maybe it was going to get picked up by Fox, and they were just going to like only get this pot, this movie. So maybe they just wanted to keep it as tightly contained as they could. So it opens on uh, we 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 come in on the Vesta Colony in the Epsilon Irandi star system in the year twenty sixty three A.D. Stumbled over that date. I like that it was 2063 because that's not that long
1: from now. You know, there's how how many years is that? That's uh,
0: 45 years from now.
1: Yeah, that's that's not that long. So we're really catching up to these science fiction shows. We're already past Terminator's uh, judgment day, right? That was 97, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Although it's funny. I I did the math on when this came out. That was 68 years in the future. So uh, we're a lot closer now. Time's going on. Here's my question for you. Yeah. Given how far we are, how close we are to that date. What do you think? Their tech is doable or not doable in 45 years?
1: I think most of it, with the exception of the speed in which they go and come back from Mars, I think is always going to be a problem. They have it in this show that they sort of just go there and they come back. And maybe there's more time uh, that they're just not showing on the screen. But it seems as if it's pretty fast and whatever technology, you know, they don't show any warp drives or anything like that. But uh, I think that'd be the, the only real stumbling block that we'd have.
0: Well, uh, I'll I'll just let you in on this little secret right now. The IMDb trivia for the episode uh, says that their trip from Earth and back is an Im- from Earth to Mars and back is an impossible, uh, impossibly speed. They seem to go in like a couple hours, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, we come down onto this colony. This is Earth's first colony off of our planet onto a new planet. There's, a, I guess, a leader of the colony giving a big speech about how. Uh, we're alone in the universe, so it's up to us to bring life to the uh, empty stars. Yeah, the note I made was the speech isn't as good as patents. Not, not as good as patents? Well, it also turns out to be deeply ironic very quickly. Yes, that's true. They are almost immediately attacked by aliens. and And that's it. Like, they don't have a defense or anything, they're just toast. They're just settlers in an empty world. They didn't know they needed guns. Yeah,
1: I'm sort of anti-gun myself. I know it's a crazy thought, but, but you would think you'd have some sort of defense if you're going to a different planet.
0: No, no, you would be on the side of not bringing guns. Uh, Or at least something. Have a shovel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you and your liberal ideology.
1: You can't bring a mace or an
0: Iron Maiden with you? Let's bring the Dark Ages back on this planet. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that kind of kicks off the episode. Like we see a colony far, far from Earth. It immediately is attacked by aliens. And we know this is an unexpected attack because we thought we were alone in the universe. It's a good It's a good setup.
1: It is good. I, I like that the first time these people are, are meeting aliens, it's in the most hostile way possible. I like that. It, it sets it up like, you know, they're the enemy. They just attack. There's no talking. There's no learning anything about them. And even by the end of this episode, you learn very, very little about these aliens. So it's just sort of like black uh faceless creature that just wants to destroy us for whatever reason so i like that
0: yeah it's a good it's a good setup like a lot of mystery you don't know what's happening but like the gases to the metal the pedals to the metal there we go you got it eventually i got i got there so i'm gonna i sort of broke down a little bit of this first part into sort of like three sections because we kind of meet our three core cast over the course of kind of the first 20 minutes half an hour of this thing so i'm just going to look at them all individually sort of these intros to these characters and um, first off is nathan west okay let me just tell you
1: i instantly hated him and uh it only got worse as the show went on i was begging begging that he wouldn't be the star of the show and unfortunately he is if not the star one of the one of the you know three stars of the show i'll just say that now get get ready everyone i'm gonna complain about this guy every episode
0: i made a note in when i was watching it too uh, and I, i'll get to it right now actually but west is i don't know it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is but he exudes the same kind of generic hero vibe that we've seen in so many of these shows like Jake cardigan You're exactly or right. river world
1: i think maybe if there's a thread between all of these shows that had early cancellations or didn't make it or didn't quite work or whatever it might be, the thread is the lead character is just not very good or not very engaging or not very interesting or what it might be. He actually reminds me of a blend between John Moore and Thomas Hobbes in that he's lame like John Moore and his only character trait is he's pining for a woman like Thomas Hobbes.
0: Yeah, he thinks he's cool, so he is quite a bit like John Moore, but he's not cool like John Hop. I also made a note, get a haircut. <laughs> um, We do meet him. He's actually training with his girlfriend to be on the second uh, colony mission. Yeah. So they're kind of like in a training program to be on the next starship that's going to head out to um the uh, colony that they don't know has been attacked yet. That's kind of how we're introduced to them. Yeah, and I liked her. She was fine. Yeah, I mean... This is what happens basically next is is they get called into a meeting by the higher ups and they're told one of them is going to get to go and one of them has to stay because of a new government sort of mandate that's been passed down. And as soon as they said like one of you is going to go and one of you is going to stay, I really thought the same thing. I was like, please let it be her who stays. She's so much better than this man. And like from the get go, I was like praying, praying that he would be the one to go off to die.
1: And should, should we say this now, the reason there's only going to be one of them is because there's some sort of future affirmative action happening?
0: Yeah, well, that's going to go into this. Like the, What the Senate has put through is uh, they're embracing this in vitro rights movement. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more later, but it's it's basically they're trying to make up for some uh, in, inequalities to a population on Earth. And what's happening is 10 of these in vitros are being sent to the colonies, a token gesture, so a few people have to leave to make room for them. What I really did like though in that scene was they show up and this higher up tells them what's happening is going to be because of this in vitro rights movement and initially west gets really like defensive he's just like yeah we're in vitro rights activists is that why you're throwing us off this fight like he's like really throwing his like idealism and like he's he's a white hat and like he stands up for those people and they're like oh no they got rights and now one of you has to step down just so we can make it fair and send a few of them to the colony And immediately he turns on them like his idealism is just false. And I like that they didn't pull away from it.
1: Yeah, he says something at one point. I don't know the exact quote, but it was sort of like, yeah, I'm for their rights, but not at the expense of mine, which I thought was actually a really great line. And it and it seemed to be almost more evocative of the stuff we're sort of dealing with socially right now than it was in 1995.
0: I mean, for the faults with this character and the way he maybe is generically bland, there were out there were like glimpses where I'm just like, oh, way to not pull a punch and like have him be a, this like pretend activist who as soon as his rights are offended, he suddenly like is so willing to throw someone else on the bus. Like that's an interesting character choice. Yeah.
1: And for the rest of this episode, and I don't know about future episodes because we haven't watched him yet, but he's essentially uh, the equivalent of a racist He's he's against the uh, in vitro people. And he, and he makes it very clear time and time again.
0: He does. He does. Um, I, I know we've said we we're pretty s- not fans of this character. Part of me is kind of holding out hope that this is all like part of a build to actually like find an interesting character there. I'm not entirely convinced of that. But uh, I mean, I'm at least seeing like elements in this writing of this show that are at least a little more subtle and nuanced that we've seen in previous shows. I'd agree with that. At any rate, him and his girlfriend, one of them has to get off this ship to the stars. So they work out a plan where she's going to go on legitimately. She's the one who they're going to put on. And then he's going to kind of sneak on and hide on that thing or like stow away on their way to the colony. This doesn't go well, as you might expect.
1: Can we talk about this scene? What what his, his plan is? Because it's absolutely this again made me think of Thomas Hobbes because it's the stupidest plan ever. So what we see is all of the let's just say astronauts for lack of better word they're all in like astronaut outfits and they're sort of around these sort of technological seats that are all sort of surrounding the rocket ship and uh, they all have a place they all have their screen so everyone's sort of accounted for and because west nathan west isn't on the ship anymore his plan is he's going to go get a suit but he like handcuffs himself to like i don't know the engineering room or something and it was just you're probably going to die there, stupid. Like, they clearly have everything planned in a certain way. I'm assuming there isn't a lot of room for error in space travel, but his plan was, I'll, I'll just, like, stow away. I was like, you're stupid.
0: He, like, straps himself down in the hydroponics bay. And I mean, to your point that it's a finely tuned machine, they immediately catch him because, like, a guy in Mission Control is like, hey, there's a CO2 imbalance in the hydroponics. Uh, we should go check that out before they leave. And, like, security finds him immediately. They almost set it up like,
1: Oh, he's going to get to go to space anyways, but immediately they're like, "Nope, no he's not." Which I thought was good cuz it was a turn I didn't expect.
0: Yeah, they stay pretty honest to like some of their like science ideals. Like they're not going to kind of let things slide too much. I mean, I think they make up a lot of stuff, but they're like, "Yeah, no, they would find him immediately and toss him off the ship." And they certainly did. So he doesn't get to go to space, but uh, I never even actually caught his girlfriend's name. Uh she gets to go. Yeah, she gets to go. And as he's kind of being dragged off, she like throws him this futuristic locket with her with their pictures in it and he she records a little message to for him before he leaves that says uh, i believe in you and like throws him the locket so he has something to like hold on to until he gets back to her on the colony
1: and you know that immediately when she when she arrives in the colony she's dating someone else
0: <laughs> it's really funny i that, that that futuristic locket where you can record a soundbite i'm Absolutely sure that my mom had a picture frame in the '90s. It was the exact same thing. It had a microchip, and you pushed a button. You could just record like "Happy Birthday," and then anytime you pushed it, it would just say "Happy Birthday." Like, I'm like, I'm like, that's not that exciting. A little locket. We sent it to my grandpa and my grandma. It said "Happy Birthday." That's nice. Yeah, it was real nice. We move on now to kind of our second character in this. We kind of meet Cooper Hawks. He's good to get into because he is an in vitro. He's one of these sort of, I don't know. They're not a race exactly. They're like a subsection of people on earth who uh, are being discriminated against I'm going to go on the record so far I really like this
1: character so he can only let me down really and what we sort of learn is that the tanks as they call them as the sort of yeah, slang, that's I guess, slang. Or, or it's not even a slang. It's a, it's an insult. It's a... Yeah. And, and here's the weird thing. A tank means like you were born in a tank, right? That's what they're saying?
0: That's my assumption.
1: Yeah. Okay. Which is not a great insult. But anyways, it's it's fun that they have their own language. So they call these people tanks. One, one sort of giveaway for these people is that they have a, what almost looks like a big mole on the back of their neck. Which the assumption being that's where the tube went into their neck. Is that what it is? Am I wrong? No, wrong. What is it on their it's neck? It's a belly
0: button. No, it's a belly. <laughs> yeah, there was a belly button. Even before I knew that's what he was, they showed a quick glimpse of his neck, and I'm like, and the first thing I done was like, he has a belly, an outie belly button on the back of his neck, and that's a hundred percent what it is. Like you're right, it's a tube that went to the back of his neck, but it's the equivalent of a belly button.
1: So hold on, so <laughs> so when he was born, then conceivably. A doctor cut that cord and then tied it into a little knot in the back of his neck. (laughs) Like he was a balloon. (laughs) Yeah, that is exactly what I'm
0: saying. Oh, okay.
1: I mean, there's weirder things to find on people.
0: I I thought that was very fun, though. I'm like, a belly button on his neck. Crazy. And And so what we
1: learn about Hawks right away is that they push really hard into the fact that tanks, as they call it, are secondary citizens. Like, we introduce him getting, like, just kind of beaten up for no reason. Well, the reason being because he's not... Yeah, it technically human is what they're
0: doing. So yeah, he's getting run out of Philadelphia,
1: and he's got a real chip on his shoulder because of it. So get ready, he's like he's sort of uh, confrontational and uh, difficult for no reason other than they you know they've sort of outlined that he's had a tough life, so he's gonna be a jerk in every situation. But I kind of like that. I liked him quite a bit.
0: Well, they kind of explain where tanks came from is they were in vitro army platoons that were created during what's known as the AI war.
1: And let me say, they mentioned the AI war like 45 times during this episode. It was to the point where like, I was like, "I guys, I get it. There was an AI war. They mentioned it like, remember, Star Trek would always mention the um, the eugenics war. But they mentioned that like once or twice. Like they never stopped talking
0: about the AI war on this thing. I assume they'll get into it. I assume this is a lead up to something. <laughs> I guess. But yeah, these, these tanks were created for the AI wars. After the war was won, the platoons were dissolved. But some of them are like still around, I guess. There's this like these in vitro's who still exist they said like their parents i guess are based on like dead dna so there's really no one to look after them. they're basically just orphans wandering wandering the earth or at least the states anyway and they seem to be widely regarded by anyone who talks about them as like lazy and disloyal <laughs> anyone who hates them that's the key character trait.
1: i think they're kind of uh, you know subtly or otherwise sort of really equating this to you know unjust racism that's sort of these uh it's the same sort of thing that people always say about another group of people you know oh they have this quality or that quality right and so you're seeing that that come out uh here in the future against these uh these in vitro people
0: yeah exactly um and what we kind of see is he's getting chased out of town he they try to hang him he turns he turns the attack on the attackers and chases the ringleader out and then he gets in a confrontation with some cops and He's basically arrested and his jail sentence will later be to uh join the US Marines. So that's how we'll get him to end up where he needs to be later.
1: Didn't you like though that the cops didn't have guns? They had little like laser dart gun things. I'm glad in the future that uh police didn't have as many uh many options to kill people.
0: Yeah, you're it's really along with your moral stance. Hey, I'm I'm on board. Very progressive. Thank Did you. Did you also notice their vehicles? No, no. What, what what was it? I didn't notice it. They were all driving the equivalent to Pinocchio's car from Harsh Realm.
1: Oh, really? Really? I'll have to go back and check that.
0: Yeah, they're all like souped up, souped up hot rods with like grates on the windows. It they looked exactly like his car.
1: Well, it it looked like it was a bad part of town anyway. Exactly.
0: Um. Anyway, that brings us to our third lead, Shane Vanson. We meet her as she's breaking into a Navy base in San Diego to visit her childhood home.
1: She wasn't as interesting in this episode as I kind of hoped she was going to be. I thought they were going to make her sort of like. They kept implying that she was going to be this real tough person. And I mean, there's there's some more interesting things that happened with her. But initially, it's like what we learn is that she has a, a history with the uh, AI war and her family was sort of killed during that. And she watched that as a kid.
0: So she's got some,
1: you know, she's got some scores yeah. to settle, essentially.
0: Yeah, that's it. Her, her parents were killed by AIs because they were military intelligence. And it kind of happened in front of her and her sisters. And she survived. And now she kind of has a chip on her shoulder. So that is that is basically her introduction too. But this kind of catches us up to what is really kind of the beginning of the show. All these characters on a bus to Loxley, Alabama, on their way to the U.S. Marine Corps as recruits. And on the bus, we get to meet like kind of the three other lead characters who didn't get like proper introductions. Do you know who they are? Uh, one is Bags. That's what they call him, right? Yeah, Mike Pagodin, Pegs. Oh, is it Pegs? I thought they were
1: saying Bags. I didn't understand the stupid nickname.
0: No, no, his, his last name's Pagodin, so they call him Pegs. Yeah, okay, sure. There's Vanessa Damphouse. Oh, that's
1: right, and uh, the, someone's already like, are you French? And she's like,
0: nope. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was really weird. I, I assumed they were going to try to imply she was from, I don't know, down south or something, but it was very weird. Yeah. And then finally, there's Paul Wang.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. He and He almost gets nothing to do this episode.
0: Yeah, very, very light duty for Paul Wang off the top of this thing. But as the, as the bus pulls into uh, the Marine Corps and they pile off to meet their drill sergeant, there's a very surprise cameo.
1: Is there? Who's the cameo?
0: Their drill sergeant? Uh, you know what's funny? I actually didn't look it up, but I've seen this guy a million
1: times. Who is that guy?
0: Oh, my God. Th- that's uh, R.L. Ermy. He's um, from, uh, like, you must know him best from Full Metal Jacket.
1: Right. That's what I thought, because I, I literally the note I wrote is, I'm sure I've seen this guy as a drill
0: sergeant yelling at people at least a thousand times. <laughs> no, he's a great actor. And like, that's just certainly like one of his core roles was in that full metal jacket in a very similar style character. And he's definitely done drill sergeants before. But like, I I thought this was really great. It's an uncredited cameo. And it just like kind of really fast. It's like it's a really great like short hand to like explain what this army's like. like. Kind of just get you into a feel for it.
1: There's actually a character who doesn't have any dialogue who is my favorite of this episode. And it's, he's only in one scene. And, and it's all of the recruits that are on that bus to go become Marines. As they get off the bus, there's a guy, each of, them, each of them step off. And every single person that gets off, he just smacks their bag out of their hand. And they're just like, oh, what happened? And the next person, he smacks the bag out of their hand again. And that guy's my favorite character. Because I just like the thought of someone whose job is just to stand there and just just smack bags into people's hands. That I made me laugh. And so I really liked him.
0: Do you know which extra I liked who's getting off the bus? No, which one was that? I think the last guy to get off, who I thought for sure was going to end up being a character, but never appears again. is this guy gets off the bus wearing sunglasses. Oh, yeah. And they, I do like, remember. <laughs> tear yeah, yeah. his sunglasses off his face. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be one of our characters. Nope. Just this one guy got this great scene.
1: Yeah, they're like, they're like. Hey, nice sunglasses. He's like, yeah, you think so? And they're like, no, take okay, your sunglasses off. <laughs> yeah, it was funny.
0: Yeah, I thought for sure that was going to be a character. Not at
1: all. That part where they were all getting off the bus reminded me very much like what we we're about to watch Police Academy or something, like a bunch of weird characters with weird little traits. It, uh, it was that guy with the sunglasses that made me think that.
0: No, that's fair. That is a good that's a good comparison. Going back to uh, Arlie Ermey for a second. He's got some uh, I mean, this is typical when he's in a show, but they've given him some pretty great lines to yell at them. Uh, I, I liked I liked a few of them like in space no one can hear you scream except your marine battle cry that was all right that was all right no you you weren't into it I want to hear some other ones though uh, when when uh, Vanson said she joined uh, the Marines to defend the U S he like looked at her for a second and he screamed we have no enemies are you crazy yeah and there was there was another one what was it
1: he asked someone like he's like what am I, a calendar and they said no he's like I am a calendar it was like something like that.
0: They asked if he was a road map and he said was. he was a roadmap.
1: yeah there was no way you're gonna have a right answer with the guy
0: he also had a great scene which might have been my favorite moment and probably i thought with the most inspired part of the entire like kind of training montage is after they finish this flight sim where they they mess it up and they fail because hawk crashes into west because he hates him and like they all have to climb out of these booths and their drill sergeant's waiting for them to yell at them and then he makes them all stand in a line and grab each other's asses. Yeah. Because uh, he goes on his big speech about how they're risking each other's asses and their ass is your ass because you're on the same squad. But like I, I very much enjoy that. It. it was like that was a very fun scene to watch where there, all these recruits are forced to like grab each other's butts. It was pretty, pretty good.
1: All of the training is pretty good in this show. Like it's a it's a it doesn't feel like a real time waste, you know.
0: No, it worked. They didn't. It didn't go on for too long, um, and we'll get into that in a little bit here. But uh, it it moves pretty quickly. So kind of midway through this training montage, we get a brief cutaway, and um, the colony ship that West's girlfriends, been, West's girlfriend's been traveling on finally arrives at the colony. And like, as it's flying in. All the aliens attack it and her colony ship is blown out of the air and we kind of like for the first time get the idea that uh, news is going to get back to Earth that this colony's basically been attacked and like they've lost their second colony ship.
1: But they don't show if anyone really died to set up that idea that maybe whatever her name is, I don't know what her name is, uh, a West girlfriend, she might still be alive. We don't know.
0: Well, immediately after this, we kind of cut to the recruits. They've gone to a marine bar for drinks after training. It's called the Asteroid Bar, which was great. Yeah, it was good. And uh, they see this, like, super cool elite squadron of uh, fighter pilots come in. They're the Angry Angels. Okay,
1: let me say this about the Angry Angels. I have two thoughts on them about how they look. They sort of look like either pretentious art students from the early 90s, because they all wear berets and stuff, and that was funny to me. But also, more accurately, they look exactly... Like Joker's henchmen in the nineteen eighty nine Batman movie.
0: Oh, that's very funny. I actually wrote down, I was just like, they're dressed to be very cool in the mid nineties. They're like in big puffy jackets. And like high waisted jeans. Yeah. It was very it was very funny to me.
1: We don't learn too much
0: about the Angry Angels
1: other than they're elite and they're like badasses. That's all we learn.
0: Yeah, they all wear sunglasses. They're very cool. Very <laughs> yeah, cool. That's right. Vanson actually really wants to be a part of the Angry Angels, so at the bar she goes over and tries to like strike up a conversation with them. They don't want to talk to recruits, so they're kind of like dismissive of her. And of course, this all like leads to a classic bar fight. The bar fight
1: starts over the most minor insult slash snub ever. Basically, she wants to like hang with the cool kids, and they're like, "No, you're a cadet. Like, go away." And then West sticks his boring old face and it's like apologize to her and then they, they start a fight and it was like well maybe they don't want to talk to you they don't have to talk to you i was i was entirely on
0: the uh, angry angel side on that fight also i'm anti-west so it's true he he was really white hatting when he showed up there like it was unnecessary for him to stick his nose in. well they, they i think the big snub they made is like go get us a drink they said to her like all ah, right whatever
1: yeah she's a recruit bottom of the rung yeah go away you haven't earned your high-waisted jeans yet exactly
0: the bar fight ends though when a special report the ftn network has a special report come over the airwaves and the secretary general of the un announces that the colony has been attacked and destroyed and that earth is going to war and wouldn't this be a better role for david ogden steers to play the president (laughs) oh that would have been
1: great he would have been way better as this than martian manhunter
0: (laughs) oh well get the roles you cast in
1: yeah fair enough
0: actually and you mentioned earlier like the idea of who's lived and who's died in this speech, he talks about how they don't know who survived on the original colony. But with the second colony lander, he says everyone's dead except for 25 people. And I'm just not sure how he could possibly know that.
1: I guess we could figure out maybe there's some sort of like they all have a a thing on them that shows when they're
0: dead. And like, a I don't know.
1: I Who knows? Anyways, I'm not one to question the president is what I'm
0: saying fair enough i mean the ship exploded in high orbit so i was just like i don't know how anyone can know who's alive anymore but oh it's okay yeah i will say this uh, the effects obviously are dated from their time i think most of them kind of work but we really see it in this scene when the colony ships attacked what's really holds it back effects wise is just the explosions don't work they don't look good they look like like, a mid-90s video game explosion. The rest of it, like, is passable. Like, I can buy most of the spaceships, I can buy most of that other stuff. It's the explosions of this of the show that are really hurting it. I think the limitations of the
1: special effects are, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, something that was airing at the same time would be something like Deep Space Nine, where they were using a lot of practical uh, ships and that sort of thing, and, and, you know, supplementing those with whatever kind of computer effects. This sort of feels like, you're right, like, uh, the computer effects weren't quite finished.
0: Yeah, they're really, they're really choosing to do almost all computer effects, and it, it, I mean, the show's great otherwise, but, like, that's really, uh, is a real unfortunate choice on their part, it it really dates the show. (laughs) Now that they know they're under attack, um, the recruits are basically, go back to training, everyone's sort of prepping for war, and the recruits are sort of sent on their first training mission to Mars, to repair a comms link on the planet, that I guess is broken down, so this is kind of their first, like, away mission. Doesn't it feel though like, I know they mentioned later on
1: that their training was sort of fast tracked, but doesn't it seem way too fast to take these people who've been training for a couple weeks and already send them on a mission? They must have hundreds and hundreds of other Marines that are further along in their training or actual Marines they could send before they'd send these people. Am I wrong?
0: I mean, you're not entirely wrong. I, I mean, the train, the mission they're sent on this repair mission it is literally like a janitor duty. It, it should be nothing like they're going to fly on a unmanned ship to Mars, so It does all the piloting. They're just going to wander around the desert aimlessly and then, then go to this comms channel and like flip a switch. I uh, I, I I agree that it's a little weird, but I, it was okay. I didn't hate it. Like it was definitely a do nothing trip. Right, fair enough. But I will say the uh, set design of the transport ship and Mars itself, everything looked great. The, the transport ship is very utilitarian, very like Aliens 1. Yes, you're, you're right. It does evoke that same sort of look. And then even like the planet and Mars, they seem to, uh, Melanie thought they might be using um, a math painting too, but like the red sands, like the whole thing, it looks good. It, like Mars looks good. I think
1: it's uh yeah, they're on a- practical sand and I think there's a green screen happening.
0: I was, I thought I'm like, man, they put a lot of time and effort into this pile and they really, they really did a good job with it. Are they coming up to the scene where they, they listened to the rock and roll? Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what comes up here. Actually, I was going to, I was going to ask that you, uh, did you catch that little piece of world building that apparently they're terraforming Mars? Just not that section.
1: Oh, no, I heard they said they were terraforming. What did they say about it, though?
0: Well, they sort of said, oh, yeah, we're terraforming Mars, just not this, this section. That's why there's no vegetation anywhere. And um, I thought that was some good world building. But I also wondered if it's just like, are you guys going to have to go back to Mars later? And you know, you can't afford to redo this. So right. when we go back to Mars, it'll look a little more like Earth.
1: Either way, that's fine. You know what? All it takes is one line of dialogue and you fix problems. So I'm, I'm fine with that.
0: No, I was like, I'm like, way to be proactive about fixing your problem. Yeah. But yeah, this is they they find the comms link they need to fix, and uh, I guess they say that uh, again, some more world building that any off-world installations from Earth have all been built with that like same symbol that's on the outside of the Voyager probe, like it's it's the human Da Vinci sort of uh, thing, and then they all also come with a a compact disc that contains all the sounds and sights of Earth too. So they plug that in, and yeah, they start playing some music off of it.
1: It was right on that line of being cringy because what what starts playing is uh, the Ramones start playing and the one guy and they're like oh what is that and then the one guy's like I know this I heard it in my 20th century history class which is such a like a Star Trek line and I was just like oh I roll but then what saved it was the guy right after he goes he goes I think they called this band the Pink Floyd and I thought all right that's funny
0: I'll let I'll allow it it was a nice turn on a uh, turn on that like cliche as he just misidentifies the band entirely and that was uh, our dear old friend pegs
1: yeah it was i knew him bags <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah the entire time you just assumed his name was bags because he had those bags under his eyes well he he looked tired anyway as they're sort of standing around this comms link before they can get to fixing it uh an alien ship crashes out of the sky into the sands of mars and they have to go do a recon uh mission to find out what has happened so their uh training mission has become a real mission uh the investigation they kind of go out there they find a ship it turns into a big firefight we get to see a little more of how west is i don't know it's hard he goes lone wolf immediately like kind of running off after the aliens and they have to go rescue him it's kind of nice because they don't show him as a hero going lone wolf he's kind of actually a liability yeah what we actually learned and i think there was an earlier scene too
1: is that west is clearly the main character in the show but he's sort of like he's annoyingly noble and perfect but in, in the way of like his how he acts and his morals, but in terms of his effectiveness, he's clearly not going to be the leader of this group. What's her, what's the woman's name? Vance? What's her name? Uh, Va- uh, Vanson. Vanson clearly has t- has takes over at a certain point and is in charge because the two guys just keep fighting uh, or arguing about stuff or want to do things their own way, and she's clearly being built up as she's has the best head on her shoulders of all the, of all these people. She's going to be the one to lead them.
0: Yeah, I, I thought that was well done because they do have Hawks and West, buttheads, kind of fighting over for a leadership role. And she has to step in and break them up like they're children. And you kind of see it's like, oh, good, they're not going to make either of these two idiots be the leader of the show. Like, Vanton right. really steps up. It's like, oh, she's she's going to be the head of the squad. Great. Much better. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they get into this fight with the aliens. They've got to go, like, pull West out of it because he's, like, gone gone lone wolf and he's an idiot. And uh, finally, they, like, get the alien to surrender, but not before the big twist of the episode. What was that? Pegs is killed.
1: Oh, right. I did, well, that's not a twist. He's just, he's just killed. Well, here's what we learned about the guy before he died. They go on and on about how, like, it's such a terrible thing he died. All we learned about was he really wanted to fly a plane. <laughs> that's all we learned about him.
0: Well, that's not fair, though. They really set him up to be a regular in the show. And I will say, when he died, I was sad because I would ri- he was a better character i yeah i would have rather had pegs
1: than uh west yeah oh absolutely like
0: it it was a good i thought it was a good turn like in a kind of i mean i don't know we'll have to see how the show goes on but it it does do that thing that you do on a show when you're going to show like it's a game of thrones style show it's like we will set up characters for you to like them and we will kill them so just be prepared this is gonna be that kind of show i don't know if that's really what's going to happen but it did at least set me up with a bit of a disconcernment that uh, any of these characters could die maybe
1: it at the very least set up stakes that the enemy is powerful enough that they uh they can be killing
0: humans pretty easily absolutely um with the alien in this case he it the alien uh sort of surrenders it gets down to his knees and they kind of take it prisoner and bring it back to the ship and there's um they're kind of discussing what they should do with the prisoner they've taken and like west is irrationally angry. I mean, I guess it's because he feels like this thing killed his girlfriend, but he, he does really react quite badly.
1: Yeah, he, like, at one point, like, they're trying to give him water, and he just like,
0: no, he doesn't get water, and he, like, throws it to the ground, and that storms off like a child. Yeah, and there's, like, on his weird alien suit, there's kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, it's like a SIM card from your phone's been kind of curled into, like, half a cylinder, and is stuck to the front of his uh, his suit, and uh, Wes takes it off and wants to know what it is, and it's really weird, because they do this thing where the alien kind of, like, does a head nod, and then somehow all the characters read that as, like, oh, this sim card on his chest is actually, like, West's locket, because it, like, nods its head toward the locket of West's girlfriend that he's wearing, and they're like, oh, that's some sort of, like, keepsake from home, it's nothing important. I just don't know, I thought that was a bit of a stretch.
1: Well, I, I agree with you, I actually was kind of confused, because they're all acting as if they could tell what he was looking at, but he doesn't have eyeballs, so how, they were like, oh, he's looking over there. I'm like, he doesn't have eyeballs. He has at best sort of slits in his like mechanical armor. So I don't know how they knew what he was looking at.
0: Yeah. I mean, he kind of looks like a Power Rangers villain, like a better put together one, but a little bit like there was some Power Rangers villain that was just like weird robot heads. That's kind of what it reminded me of.
1: It's sort of hard to describe what he even looks like because he's, it's just mostly black and sort of like a shell, like a bug.
0: Completely unemotive. That's for sure. Right anyway west storms off and damp house is just like well you know what we can't treat this thing wrong we do need to give it water so she grabs another bottle of water puts a straw in it and i was just like oh she's really nice but then i i watched what she did next i'm like what what are you doing here she like finds a pair of gills on the side of his head and she just pours
1: water into it she just was like i guess that's how he drinks not even knowing if they need water and then she just pours water into it and then what happens is almost immediately this like green ooze like just pusses out of it out of its head and it's dead so much ooze there
0: was so much
1: yeah it was pretty good and what I like about that is right after that they make some sort of comment like it would have rather killed itself than be taken prisoner and I was like it didn't kill itself you jammed water into its lungs or whatever that is you don't know what you were doing
0: no that's exactly what I thought too I'm like those are gills those are probably his lungs you tried pouring water into his lungs you killed it
1: I think she was just trying to save face. She's like, it killed himself. Am I right? I'm right, people? You, you guys all saw that.
0: It was very funny. I, I also wanted that to be the case. I'm like, I'm just going to pretend like this is her covering up a crime she committed. Anyways, it, it sets up one thing. These aliens that
1: seem like um, very difficult foes to conquer, apparently just put water in them.
0: You just got to get some water in those lungs. Yeah. Anyway, so now that they've killed it, they kind of have put it in a body bag and- now that it's dead, like, West comes back and gives it back gives it back its little, like, sim chip from its family or whatever. Like, it's to like, he, like, is sorry now that he took this thing from the alien, like, puts it back as if that redeems him for him. He's the worst. So it's such a weird, such a weird scene for him. From here, we kind of jump forward, and the recruits are kind of graduating. They're getting ready to get their own ships, and, like, they're going to get, a, like, a few hours leave before they sort of move off to move on, and... It's here. Actually, they say it's like it's been a week since the Mars mission. Is that what they said? It was a week. Yeah, they said it's been a week since the Mars mission because they've like say they've kind of had to accelerate training because of the war and like that's kind of how they how they sort of handle that idea is that it does seem like they've been in training for a very short period of time but they're sort of hand waving by saying well we need you to fight the battle so you're ready to go <laughs> so before they leave the planet to start their their duty for with the military i know so little about the military i'm so bad about talking about it um yeah, west goes home to visit his family and uh all he really does with them is they watch a newscast of uh the big battle that's about to happen there's like news reporters embedded with the mi- the marines who are about to go to war with the aliens and we just basically get to see that like the the first wave of uh, human fleets of getting their floor wiped by these aliens
1: i thought it was really weird that vanson went home with him it's just like, I thought that was weird. But anyway, and the only thing I was kind of disappointed was one that we had to know more about Nathan because who cares about him? But his family wasn't wearing futuristic clothing. I was hoping that they'd be wearing some sort of, you know, like it's, it's you know, it's 2065 or whatever. I was hoping like they were wearing jumpsuit with lightning bolts on them or something.
0: No, they're very, everything in this show is very like contemporary. Everything except for like, just like the little bit of technology. They try to make everything feel very contemporary. Like they just look like, a family in the suburbs.
1: Yeah, like the only thing that's different is their house um, has like a couple more peaks on it. Like the, in the, in the future, they added, I don't know, some sort of house technology. Besides that, the dad's just like wearing a sweater and like slacks. There's nothing, nothing science fiction about his outfits at all.
0: No, not not at all. It's very very standard. Um, so they're they're kind of seeing on the TV that like humanity is not faring very well against these aliens. Actually, there's a nice shot where they go outside and kind of look up at the sky. And you can kind of see in space little explosions happening, like the battles happening close enough to Earth that you can see like them being blown out of the sky. Right. Meanwhile, we see Hawks and Hawks takes a trip over to visit Pegs's grave because Pegs was nice to him one time during training. So Pegs feels really bad that he's dead.
1: The one thing that he did that that really endeared him to Hawks was that Hawks was like on the ground and, and he put his hand out to like help him up. That was it. That's all it takes to, to make uh, to make Hawks your friend.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say I felt like this, like him being so distraught over this, his only friend, like they, they didn't really earn it. I get I get that they just didn't have time. They needed to just like provide a moment. But it's a bit silly because it's like you barely knew the guy like he helped you up one time and now you're at his grave pleading with him.
1: If I could make one suggestion, it would be to make more time to have them show their relationship. uh, Take away the time of Wes going back to see his boring family. (laughs) Just take that right out of the show.
0: The family was as boring as he was. There was nothing learned, nothing new there. Yeah, exactly. After this, they all head back to base because they've been assigned to their squadron. They're the 58th squadron now, and they're arriving at the base as all the Angry Angels casualties are coming in from the battle. Most of them are dead. The rest of the Angry Angels are injured. The stakes have really been raised. Even the most elite can be beaten by these aliens.
1: And then the, and the one guy who was the leader of the... Uh angry angels he's got your classic now as we've seen in several shows um half of his face is being burnt
0: it's a classic a classic trope you gotta have a two-face yeah
1: exactly wait I mean, this is this is our third two-face so we've had six faces now Ooh.
0: If, if my math if my math adds up the now Kristen 58th is brought into a briefing where they're kind of told the alien they found had battle plans that they were able to de-encrypt do you know did you catch how many computers it took to de-encrypt the, the plans
1: no i didn't how many
0: 50 Quantum Carno Computers. Ooh. That's a lot. I don't know how that is. It was very funny. They were very specific about it, how many computers it took and what kind. And wh- sorry, what was that brand again? Uh, Carno. Classic Carno. Yeah, those are good. Those were good. They're solid. Yeah. <laughs> they had all those commercials, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they do a very cool hologram now to kind of show us like the universe and what the aliens like secret plan is. Which they kind of tell us they're going to spend, the aliens are going to send two thirds of their force to attack a naval base. Um, And since they know this, the military is basically planning to position their troops around it to drop an ambush on the aliens as they come to this naval base. Like it's a very like simple plan where they're just going to use this plans they've stolen to get the drop on them.
1: I think they say at this point that what we learn a little bit about the aliens versus the humans is that. I th- and correct me if i'm wrong luke they say the alien ships are more, more maneuverable b- and faster but the human ships are have more firepower
0: you're close you're close the alien ships are faster but the human ships are more maneuverable and better armed
1: Ah, uh, okay so and, and and what i like though he he says he actually gives a line he goes so it evens out so the viewer goes oh they're they're evenly matched
0: i i know it's a very it's a very like quick way to do it but I actually kind of like that it's like, oh, so this is like not a one-sided battle. I like that they're evenly matched. It's kind of nice. Like you rarely see a show where it's just like, we can we can we could maybe win. Yeah. It's not like an apocalypse. It's like, yeah, we're we're evenly matched foes. I I don't know. I, I like that reveal that this wasn't gonna be like we've gotta find the weakness because we can't beat them. Yeah, fair enough. This is brought up earlier with the colony ship, and it's brought up again in this scene. And it goes into kind of how they travel. But they mention in this scene they can do this ambush because they've been able to forecast there's going to be a, a fortuitous wormhole opening that will allow them to get where they need to be. And when the colony ship's going, they're, the colony ship's getting ready because uh, a wormhole's going to open on schedule and they need to use that wormhole to get the colony. And there's this implication that wormholes have been harnessed or they're everywhere and you just have to be able to forecast it. But that's how they're like, handling faster than light travel in this show.
1: What I took from it was... They at least have learned enough about wormholes to know they're sort of now treated like normal weather, weather patterns. This one's going to open. We know it's going to open. It's going to take you here. We know this one's going to open. It's going to take you there. So they at least know enough of that that it's able to get them from. Uh, it's sort of a quick way for the show to get, you know, a character from point A to point B very fast.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I thought I, I was like, I, I'm i interested to see what more we learn about these weird wormholes. But it was a very, they latered it in very quietly is it, and like. You always need to wave your hand around fast and light travel. But I thought that was like, I, I hadn't heard this idea before. And I was like, well, oh, that's interesting. And uh, we learn in this scene that
1: the recruits that we've, we've come to know and love are sort of an, uh, I think Best would say, they're sort of an auxiliary team. They're sort of supposed to wait in the asteroid belt. Uh, is it they're supposed to draw them in or they're just supposed to wait there what they're not even supposed
0: to do that now so what are they supposed to do at this point they're told they're just basically being sent to uh far far away from the front line just to be support staff and like west is pissed off about it yeah he's all gung-ho like really annoyingly he's like he's like what what do you mean yeah he asked to switch squads
1: and it's like you have no training you're not even a marine you're like some lame person who is just going to go like Grow uh, flowers up on the planet. Now suddenly you think you're a marine. I hate him so much.
0: He's so lame. And hawks hawks questions. He's like, "Hey, uh, do we know we can trust these plans? Like, how do we know they're even going to do them now that we've captured them?" It, uh, he makes the, he raises a very good question that like everyone ignores. Right. But yeah, at this point they get to board their cool new fighter jets and fly off to join the their space carrier. They're going to be living on the USS Sarasota, Saratoga. I apologize, Saratoga. And we kind of get it for the first time. We get we get to see them flying out in their ships, and um, West and Hawks have personalized their uh, their fighter planes. They've named their fighter planes. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, I know what's his
1: face. Uh, what's his name? West says above and beyond, right?
0: Yeah, his is called Space but Beyond, the name of the show.
1: Yeah, which was stupid. And then uh, wh- I know I know the gist of what Hawks's was, but what did he write?
0: Hawks's comes out with a big like red bloody handprint on it, and it says pegs payback
1: now i was going to ask you if you were one of these pilots what would you have written on the side oh um i would have called it grandma's apple pie oh that's pretty good you know what i would have put what i wish my girlfriend was this dirty (laughs) (laughs) you know that i will say you're people that would always put that on like like dirty
0: cars they'd write it in the
1: window i thought that'd be funny to put on a plane
0: yeah that's great um I will be doing follow up questions later to when someone listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all—it's all in fun. It's all in fun, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they fly off, and as they're on their way to Saratoga, Sarah, Saratoga, I'll get this before the end of twenty-four episodes. Uh, before as they fly off there, they detect an alien ship uh, as they're flying out with their lidar. Yeah, they say lidar all the time. What's lidar? i was gonna look it up it's some sort of some sort of uh sonar but for space i don't know i don't know they keep saying it but it was very funny uh they they see it on their on their sensors they chase it they lose it and they kind of report it back to their uh, commanders as they arrive at the saratoga and as they get there they're like oh good job seeing that ship you're finding it means that they aren't where they we thought they were and we scan the area and it turns out their entire fleet's coming into Earth instead, and they're going to attack Earth. So the plans have changed. Can I interrupt with one thing? Uh, LIDAR
1: is a surveying method that measures distance to a target by illuminating the target with a pulsed laser light and measuring the reflected pulses with a sensor. Oh, very cool. Thank you, Internet.
0: So futuristic. So now that they know the attack isn't going to be on this naval base, but it's actually coming right to their home front, Earth, uh, they get called into a new squadron meeting, where the uh, our our heroes, the Fifty Eighth, meet their new commanding officer, Mister Two Face, Angry Angel himself, McQueen.
1: They've sort of set it up that he's going to be tough on them, but you know, un- underneath that tough exterior, might
0: be a might be a soft belly, you know? Yeah, we've seen him a couple times throughout the episode with the Angry Angels. He really hasn't had any lines. he's kind of been sort of in the background, and he briefly talked to Hawk one time. I I, I could be wrong, but I think those scenes may be implying that he's also a tank i thought the same thing but then later on he made a comment about
1: like you stupid lazy tank or whatever and i don't know if he's just a self-hating tank
0: yeah i thought maybe that was to motivate hawks to uh stand up for himself but i don't know maybe he basically reveals that now that they know what's happening there's a new plan and since the 58th is the only one in close proximity they're gonna like you said earlier they're gonna hide in an asteroid belt And as the alien fleet goes past them, they're going to pop out and just like occupy them for long enough that the rest of the fleet can get there in time to stop them from getting to Earth. So they're basically on a, not a decoy mission, but at least a a distraction mission. Right. Um, And he, McQueen also has a really great line here at the end when he gives them their inspirational speech and he ends it with, then we teach him something every human knows. Payback's a bitch.
1: Yeah, that was funny. There was a real pause before he said that, and I was like, "Ooh, what does every human know?" And I'm like, "Do we all know that? Is payback a bitch?" I don't know if I've learned that lesson yet in my life.
0: Oh, listener, Jordan needs to learn payback's a bitch.
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm not. I'm not saying I haven't had it in my own struggles. I'm just saying I don't know if I've had them particularly in a payback from someone.
0: Well, you're you're gonna get doxed now. Yeah, I get.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> you're deleting that, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Um. now that they don't have a new mission we see a cool load up sequence we kind of like I think what we're seeing now is going to be the typical sets for the episode because they like run out to load into their ships and they don't show the full fighter jets but what they have is like the pods where the pilot sits in they kind of come out of the floor they climb into the pods and the pods like sink into the floor as if they're like getting loaded into the like fighters jets basically which is like a cool little like set design sequence for them to like use every time it's a real like load up for battle kind of thing that yeah. I, I could see being very useful they fly off they head to the asteroids they all kind of hide out in there and then they get word that the actual the alien fleet is going to like pass the asteroids and not actually come close enough for this plan to work anymore who's the one who's
1: who's like enough of this it's it's a west isn't he no it's hawks it's hawks i should have known he's a real renegade
0: yeah you think west who we've seen as a lone wolf would be the one doing it but it's very funny because when hawks does it it's actually helpful and like works, but he puts a compact disc into the CD player in his fighter jet, I guess. Yeah. Question
1: mark. It's kind of a fun scene where like, of course, he like puts on the fun music before he goes into battle.
0: Yeah. So the Ramones come back on, he gets pumped up and then he takes off by himself and tells everyone else to stay there. And he basically like flies out to the alien fleet to get their attention and draw them back to the asteroids. Jordan, We haven't talked about it yet, but like this is the first time we get a big wide shot of this alien fleet. Uh, like, how would you describe? Like, there's really two kinds of spaceships they have, like fighters and carriers, kind of like Earth, kind of like the Earth fleets. But like, how would you describe these these ships? I don't know how I would describe. They almost kind of look like,
1: almost like um like arrowhead type things. They're very, I don't know. They're kind of sleek, and there's there seems to be like they sort of attack in packs. I don't know how would you describe it.
0: Yeah, like the little fighters that fly around seem quite small, and I, they kind of reminded me of like you know when you play jacks, where you bounce the ball and grab the jacks. Yeah, you remember nineteen thirty when we were children?
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember. Well, we used to, we used to play with marbles a lot in the alley. <laughs> we did it in between uh, shoe shining shifts.
0: Oh right, Oh, uh, good old days. Yeah, <laughs> um, back when those Irish couldn't get jobs like they shouldn't have. Yeah,
1: those dirty Irish were just drunk and making babies. <laughs> Don't even get me started on those I Italians.
0: Ooh. Now we're gonna get letters. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not. Um Yeah, the little ships kind of look like jacks, and then kinda like the big carrier ships, they kind of looked like glass skyscrapers stacked on top of each other. Like they were like just really long and tall, but very shiny.
1: Yeah, they were they sort of look like almost Yeah, almost like a spine. They were just like this weird obelisk sort of sort of thing.
0: Oh, obelisk, that's good, yeah. But like It's funny, that wide shot of them kind of coming out with all the little ones flying around in kind of swarms and kind of the big carriers, like two or three of them coming out, was very reminiscent of Battlestar Galactica, like the reboot from the 2000s. I'd actually be surprised
1: if there isn't a direct connection in terms of either people working on both shows or inspiration being taken from this show, because there's a lot of shades of uh, Battlestar Galactica on this.
0: Yeah. So Hawks draws the aliens back to the asteroids. The 58th is able to come out and start, like, a dogfight with them. We see a few uh, faceless extras die. But essentially, there's a little battle. The fleet arrives, is able to, like, stop the aliens. And the aliens kind of retreat because they're outnumbered. And, I mean, I don't know how you felt. There's a lot of buildup to this battle. Like, it was going to be very important. But it, for me, it was kind of a letdown. Like, it just seemed like a very minor skirmish. like very li- Like, it was very quick... Not a lot happened, and it was kind of over. It was such a build up to the end of this episode. It was like, uh, maybe not the most like epic fight that I was hoping for.
1: I felt the same thing because immediately after the battle, they're like getting medals, and I thought they're getting medals for that. Then almost nothing happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where it ends. Is that we cut back theoretically to their graduation ceremony, but they're all being like awarded medals for their bravery. And it, it sort of ends with them gathering around and they all like raise their glasses to uh, raise a toast to pegs now that they've like had their first battle. But I was like, I, I know at least two members, other members of your squad died during that fight and no one's toasting them.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. You guys are still going on about pegs. And yeah, at least two other people in that battle we saw actually die. So it's like, what, what their chopped liver?
0: Yeah, it was very funny. I'm like, we know two other people you know died. Why are you choosing Pegs? He died on Mars, like, weeks ago.
1: Well, he was just the best at a party, you know? He was everyone's friend.
0: Well, I wish he was still alive, I'll tell you that much. I'd take him over west. I said it before. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, that kind of wraps up. But You're right, like, this is the end of the episode, and it does kind of feel standalone in some ways, but, you know, it obviously also a good setup to the entire series.
1: I was pleasantly surprised. Look, like, like, it wasn't perfect by any means, and there's some a little bit draggy moments and stuff, but... I thought it was a very solid pilot and a pilot that I want to watch more episodes
0: in, especially if it was 1995, I would have wanted to watch more episodes as well. I, I made a couple extra notes just at the end here that I thought I would I would quickly talk about. Like, as far as like the inspiration for this show, like there are huge shades of Heinlein's novel Starship Troopers here for sure. Right. Like definitely that kind of old school night, like hard science fiction-y military science fiction kind of stuff. That's for sure. But I guess here inspiration wise we talked about star Galactic already but like i also like you can see this in a few other things that are kicking around these days and actually there's that series of novels that marco cluse novels were reading the frontline series
1: i know both of us have read several of those books and they're very very similar although this is a little bit lighter his books sometimes uh get pretty pretty into like let's hear more about this bit of armor you know for 30 pages yeah
0: I mean, he certainly wanted to get a denser look at that stuff. It, it, it plays better on TV this way, for sure. Yeah, it's. Uh, but yeah, I kind of noticed like where the inspirations came from, and then even like what's being inspired today by clearly the show had effect, even if it didn't survive one season. It like clearly is rippling out into like 2018. Right. All right, Jordan, you want to rate this episode, the pilot of uh, Space Above and Beyond? Yeah, I'm going to give it a very cautious
1: 7.5. Now, I liked it. I didn't love it, but uh, I think it's probably my highest r- highest rating I've ever given for a first episode, and I'm hoping that it's going to go up from here.
0: Nice. I, I'm going to go all the way to an eight. I thought it was very respectable episode. Good setup. I, I'm ready for more. I'm very hesitantly opt- optimistic because I've been uh, hurt by these shows in the past. <laughs> it's very true. Very true. <laughs> Um well, I guess that about wraps it up. So uh, if you have any thoughts or comments on what we've talked about for uh, Space Boom Beyond, you can email us at continuumdrag@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And of course, we'll be posting stuff to Instagram and Twitter from the show. And I don't know what's going to be up there, but probably some good some good images. I don't know. What do you think, Jordan? And there'll probably be an explosion or two. Well, there you go. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at continuumdrag. And uh, I guess that about wraps it up, Jordan. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll be talking again about episode uh, two and three next time. Sounds good, Jordan. Uh, I'll see you next week. See you next week. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astro Lab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Siedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Emily Carter, and Dwayne Wright.